0: Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them uh, to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream. We're grateful for each and every one of you. Also, those who are worshiping right down the hallway in the venue service and Reach Church DeSoto. After the service, we'll have an interest meeting for those who want to uh, potentially be a part of the new work we're doing in Paola, Reach Church Paola. And so we'll have a meeting in the pastor's reception room uh, right outside of these doors. Um, Darren Oglesby, our campus pastor, will be there and I'll be there. We're going to try to answer some questions and give you more information about some of the upcoming events as it relates to Reach Church Paola. So we encourage you to be in prayer about that as we um, do a new work in a new place. We're excited about it. Well, we come to this text, we've been anticipating. We're gonna finally kill Goliath this morning, hopefully. Uh, last night, uh, I, no lie, it took me about an hour to get through it. He, Goliath stuck around for a long time. We're gonna try to kill him faster this morning. Uh, every time I do this story, he dies. Uh, and praise the Lord, he, he, we kill him every time. Um, you, you look at this passage, and if there's kind of a description of this passage uh, that I think of in my mind, um, I think of A storm. Uh, there's this storm that is brewing, and, and uh, right there, there's all this movement. People are moving, people are running, people are scheming, and yet in the middle of all that chaos and in the middle of that storm, there's one little, one little shepherd boy, and he's unmoved. Uh, everybody else is losing their heads. One guy will literally lose his. But David will not lose his. He's confident. He, he's, he's grounded in the truth of God's word. His eyes are fixed upon his Lord. You know, we, we, the more we're going to study David's life, um, the more I, I, I start to contemplate the Psalms and uh, which Psalms coordinate to which events. And one of my favorite Psalms, I think, speaks... If if there's a psalm that speaks to the mindset of David in the midst of this battle, it has to be Psalm 27 uh, where the psalmist says, David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me in spite of this. I will be confident. One thing, this was David's prayer, one thing I have asked the Lord, and I shall continually seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty and to meditate in his temple. Why? For in the day of trouble, he'll conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he'll hide me. He'll lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. I'll offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I'll sing, yes, I'll sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me and do not turn your servant away in in anger. You've been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have arisen against me, and such as breathe out violence. And listen to this. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In this good news about hope in Jesus Christ, it is hope for a future. But David said, I got hope for the future and I got hope for today. And you remember how he ends it? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. David is trusting in God alone. He will not compromise, he will not be moved. I thought of Revelation 12 when it says of those saints that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and their testimony of faith. Having not loved loved this life even when faced with death. That's David in the midst of this storm, anchored in the truth of God. I pray this text encourages us this morning uh, it doesn't really. The more I say this, and last night, and even this morning again, I'm it doesn't need a lot of explanation. It just needs to be read, just to see the glory of God and His salvation for those who take refuge in Him. We're going to pick up the story in verse uh, 23. David, um, you remember, he's been anointed king. Uh, but how will God move him from the pasture to the palace? How's he gonna get there? But one thing you'll see with David, he's not maneuvering for success. He's not ambitious for leadership. He's just ambitious for the Lord. In every area of David's life, you'll see that he's a servant, faithful to his dad, faithful to his brothers, faithful to the king, And as he's faithful, God will, in his providence, orchestrate a situation that he will move David into, and as he moves David into it, all the lessons and the the, the things that God has developed in him will come into full bloom. It's just this reminder to me, listen, God is, is in the business of developing servants Our world, we constantly talk about leadership. We are so caught up in trying to develop leaders, and then when we have a leader, we hope they'll serve. God is in the business of developing servants, and then if he wants to, he raises them up to be leaders. So here's David, just a servant. God's going to bring him into a moment, and he's going to shine because he's going to trust in God. So with that in mind, let's pray together. We'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so plainly to us about what it means to to place our faith in you, that the battle belongs to the Lord and salvation is accomplished by faith alone. God, I pray that I wouldn't muddy the water this morning or in any way confuse a very simple text that speaks so plainly to your glory, your sovereignty, your grace, Lord, I pray that your word would speak into all of our hearts and if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know salvation, I pray that they would see in David a shadow of our savior, Jesus Christ, our champion who stood on the, in the gap for us and laid down his life to defeat the enemy. Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we'd be encouraged. We see in David a hero who models Christ and shows us how to live in a world that's opposed to you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look with me. Verse 23. He's gone to meet up with his brothers at the battle line. Verse 23, as he's talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. So Goliath presents the same challenge that we saw last week, that here I am, I'm the champion of the Philistine army. Uh, you send somebody out, who's your champion? Do you even have a champion? But you'll send them out and we'll fight, mano y mano. And, and if I win and you guys will be our servants, he wins, then, then we'll be your servants. So, so who's your champion? Send somebody out. And you'll remember Israel's chosen champion was King Saul and he's cowering in fear. He will not step out onto this, this battlefield. He has no vision of faith. He only sees with his eyes. The spirit has departed him. So he presents again this, this challenge in verse 24. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. What a sad picture! Goliath presents himself, and as soon as he comes out, the army of God begins to scatter and to flee. Verse 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? So they're running and they kind of say to David, they ask him, have you, have you seen this guy? Have you heard what will be done? And I, I think they, they present that question. This is the way I see it in my mind. But they present that question because, in the midst of all their running, I picture David as standing. They're running, David is standing. Uh, David is awestruck at Goliath, but for a completely different reason than the Israelites. The Israelites are awestruck at at Goliath because of his sheer size and his his weaponry and his his armament that he has on. They're awestruck by this great warrior. David is awestruck that this guy would defy God. I I think there's a good chance this is the first time David had ever heard anybody defy and mock God. God. This is the God he loves. This is the God who he has placed his faith in. This is the God who has shepherded him as he's out with his sheep. This is the God who has spoke to him in his word. And here is this uncircumcised Philistine mocking God. And I believe it just kind of rises up within David a righteous indignation. And A holy anger. Listen to me. When, when our world mocks God, there ought to be some righteous anger that burns within us. Mocking our God. And so they tell you, have you heard what, what will be done? Isn't it interesting? King Saul will pay other people to lay down their life and do what he should do. Throughout this whole story, you see Saul not as a leader who blesses and serves, he's a leader who uses. People are a commodity to him, people whom he uses to step on, to advance his own agenda while trying to save his own skin. You'll see in David a leader who serves and lays down his life, what will be done for this... Man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? That they, they see Goliath as too big to kill. David sees him as too big to miss. Who is this guy? Verse 27, the people answered in accord with the word, saying, thus it shall be done for the man who kills him. In verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart for you have come down in order to see the battle. It's interesting, before David gets a chance to come against Goliath, he's gonna have to face the obstacle of his own brothers. It's a really a sad commentary that oftentimes in our own lives when we seek to step out in faith and in boldness for the glory of God and to grow his kingdom, it's often that the sharpest attacks and the most hurtful attacks will come not from outside the family of faith but from within the family of faith. And so here are his brothers who will scorn him in jealousy, it should remind us of another great Old Testament saint who was scorned by his brothers, a guy named Joseph. And they attack, they attack David at the basis of his character. There's few things more hurtful than, than attacking his character. But you'll notice David does not respond in anger. In fact, uh, if I were David, they, they say, uh, you've just come down here to, to see the battle. If I'd been David, I'd say, well, you know, I don't see much of a battle going on. I see y'all running and him talking. That's what I see. Uh, but David, he simply asks a question in verse 29. What, what have I done now? He's asking a question. Uh, David, in every way in the midst of this, he'll be opposed, he'll be accused, he'll be critiqued. But he just keeps his head down. That while being reviled, he will not revile in return. And in suffering, he utters no threats. But he just keeps entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Does that sound like anybody we know? Listen, when when we're out serving the Lord and seeking to advance his kingdom for his glory, there's always going to be people who critique us. Don't get too caught up about it. The one thing I see in this, in David, his motives are pure in that David is not concerned about his own reputation. You can say whatever you want to, whatever. You think I'm just down here to see the battle. You think you know my heart. You don't know my heart, but he doesn't spend much time thinking about it. He just moves on. Listen to me, as we seek to do God's work, this is, it's not about our own reputation. It's not even about the reputation of our church. The only thing that matters is the reputation of our God. David is only motivated by the glory of God. It's not about David. It's about God's glory. This guy's mocked God. So you say whatever. I'm just asking a question. And he moves on. Verse 30, then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. Verse 31: When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. So words now have gotten out, and I think Saul is probably pretty excited. Maybe there's somebody who will go out before us. Verse 32: David said to Saul, "Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine." Isn't it interesting? Uh, who is in control of this meeting and this conversation? Who's the driver here, and who's sitting? Uh, David is the initiator. Even here, we're going to see David, and he's not intending to be the leader. God is just putting him in the moment, and in the moment, he'll bloom. He'll just come into full bloom into his sphere where God has placed him. And so he says to Saul, let no no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You know, it it should be a reminder to us, if we know our Old Testament of Moses, when the Egyptian army is bearing down upon the Israelites, and as they're leaving Egypt and the Israelites, here they come. Better off dying in Egypt. Now we're going to die here. And you remember what Moses says? Don't you be afraid. Sit back and watch the salvation of God. Do you know what David is? He's a a throwback. He's a throwback to Moses. This guy's got some old school mosaic faith. And he trusts in God. Don't, Don't be afraid. I'll do what you won't do. I'll lay down my life. I'll stand in the gap. I'll go face this guy. Verse 33, then Saul said to David, you're you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, while he's been a warrior from his youth. He says to David, thanks for coming out, appreciate the resume, but you can't go. You can't do this, you're not qualified. And what's interesting is the remarks of Saul are very similar to the remarks of Goliath neither one of them have eyes of faith to see that the battle is not about who is the bigger soldier or who has the greatest weapons. The battle is the Lord's. And so all Saul sees is a guy of small physical appearance And all he can see about Goliath is his large physical appearance. And so he immediately comes to the the idea or the the resolution that this guy can't do it. Listen, we have to make sure that when we go out in the world to do God's work, God give us the eyes of faith to see what God can do. Not what we can do. I'm reminded this. The world for far too long has seen what man can do. It's, time, it's past time that they see what God can do. David can't do much. But David's not looking at this situation through physical eyes, but he's looking at it through the eyes of faith. And he knows who's on his side. So Saul says, you can't go. Now, uh, David is respectful. Uh, but David at this point, because he could have said, well, all right, Thank you, I guess I'll go on my way. I guess I'm not qualified. Appreciate the opportunity to interview and um, I'll go on down the road. David doesn't throw up his hands and quit and nor as we look at this, we have to be careful how David's gonna respond. Because if you're not careful, you're gonna look at this and see, well, maybe David's saying, Saul, maybe, maybe you haven't heard how great I am. That's really what, not what David is going to do here. What David is gonna do is he's gonna testify to the enabling power of God to accomplish his purposes. So he's not on one hand gonna say, yeah, you're right, I'm nothing, I can't do it. And on the other hand, he's not gonna say, but Saul, I'm really strong and I can do it. No, he's gonna say, I'm not that great, but God is greater. So look at his response But David said to Saul in verse 34, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. When he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. David uh, falls back on in the midst of an obstacle that's in front of him. He's able to fall back upon and remember God's past faithfulness to give him courage and boldness and confidence that just as God had been faithful in the past, he would be faithful in the present and in the future. This is so important for us as we walk by faith with God that we chronicle the faithfulness of God in our lives. It's why I love the prayer journal to write out, at the very minimum, at the very least, I would encourage you to have some means of recording the prayers that you pray in the midst of your life so that you can see and chronicle God's hand of faithfulness to carry you through those moments. And then when you come up against future obstacles, you're able to look back and say, God has always been faithful, God will be faithful. It's also the reason why we rely upon the stories of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints and and, and, and Paul and Peter, because the word of God encourages us that God has not changed. And the same God that was with Paul and Silas in the jail is with us today. And so God's past faithfulness gives us courage and confidence that God will be faithful with us today. And so really what David is doing here is he's testifying, he's witnessing before King Saul of God's faithfulness to save by faith alone. I really feel like right here, David is witnessing to Saul. Do you know what he's telling, King? King, listen to me. You trust in God and he's faithful to save. Does that sound like the gospel? Not that I'm great, but God's really good. You trust in God, and he's faithful to save. Now, King Saul's not gonna believe. Uh, He's gonna tell him, go, and the Lord be with you, and the Lord is with David, and the Lord's not with Saul. But, I don't think that what David said caused Saul to say, well, yeah, man, I I can see a lion, bear, Goliath. Maybe God can do it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe God is. I don't think he's fully convinced of the faithfulness of God. How do I know that? Listen, if he had been fully convinced that God is able to save, regardless of size and strength, he would have gone himself. If he had been fully convinced, if David had said, listen, I tell you, God's always faithful. God's always faithful to His people. When you trust in Him, guys like me can defeat lions and bears. when you're faithful to God. If Saul had really believed that, something would have come on in his head and said, "David, I, man, you've really encouraged me. That's my job. What is so sad and, and listen, there's so many people out there. they will be impressed. By the faith of other people to trust in God and know his salvation, but they'll never know it themselves. I think Saul was incredibly impressed with David's faith, but he never knew God's salvation because he never trusted in God himself. Listen, This is so critical for all of us to hear. You can't live upon the faith of another individual. you got to experience it yourself. So many people, they read about the faith of other people. They see the faith of other people as they trust God and see God's blessing in their life, but they won't do it themselves. The benefit is for those who personally believe, and Saul won't. He won't trust in God. You go, and the, Lord, and the Lord be with you. Well, we look on. Verse 38, Then Saul clothed David with his garments, put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed them with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor, tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I can't go with these I have not tested them, and David took them off. Interesting part of the story here, and I think this is a credible moment, incredibly significant moment, because what Saul is tempting David to do at this moment is to compromise in the area of faith in God alone. He's saying, David, that's great, you trust God, that's really cool, but you probably ought to put some armor on too. Trusting God, but also carry my sword. Trust in God, but make sure you've got this helmet on your head to protect you. The the, the greatest obstacle that David faced in this narrative to me is not Goliath, but it was the temptation to compromise in the area of faith in God alone. Because if David takes the armor, you say, well, what what would it matter? I mean, if he wins, he wins. It's still David and Goliath. Listen, if David wears the armor and he defeats Goliath, then who can it take at least some of the credit? Saul. Saul could say, well, I was generous and, uh, and uh, he won because he took my armor and yeah, you know, I get some of the credit for participating in this. But God's going to work it in such a way that there's only one person who will get the credit. There's only one person who will get the glory, God alone. Listen to me. In our salvation, God has worked it in such a way that there's only one person who gets the credit. And that's God alone, by grace alone, in faith in Christ alone. Isn't that awesome? Uh, None of us are going to get to heaven someday and say, boy, look at what I did. It's not faith in anything other than Jesus Christ and him alone. God is demonstrating the glory of salvation by faith alone right here in David, who will not compromise. I think it was um, Matthew Henry who said David recognizes that this victory of salvation will not be won by earthly or worldly means, but by faith in God alone. So David, he tries it out. I can't do this. No, I'm just gonna go. And he took what? In verse 40, he took a stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. He goes down the brook, he's got a shepherd's staff, goes down the brook, five smooth stones. A lot of commentators, a lot of people who have written a lot of stuff concerning these five smooth stones, I don't really know. Here, here's the one thing that I have in my mind, the one thought that I have in mind, just take it for what it's worth. But I think, Dave, listen, if he takes one stone, it would have been a sign of arrogance and self-confidence. David is not presuming upon God. But here's what David is saying, I think, by taking five. I'll stand out there as long as I can. I don't get him with the first one, I'm going to reload. I don't get him with the second, I'm going to reload. But by taking five, I think David is demonstrating there will be no retreat. This is either he dies or I die, but I'm not backing down. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can do whatever you want to, but we're not going to bow. God can save, that'd be great. If he doesn't, we're not backing down. That's the heart of David right here. This is old school faith, amen? Faith in God alone. Um... Verse 41, then the Philistine came on and approached David with a shield bear in front of him. He got the shield bear. I think David probably had a hard time seeing over the shield bear. Verse 42, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy, a handsome appearance. Just this little young guy, half his size, just a Shepherd. And he says in verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Sticks referring to a shepherd's staff, meaning you sent a shepherd to fight a professional soldier. How stupid can you be? And look at what it says. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Who is his? his, One of his gods, at least, is Dagon. How'd that work out? The Philistine, verse 40, uh, 44, also said to David, come to me and I'll give, you the fle- give, give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. You talk about arrogance. It reminded me, Voltaire, Voltaire said, a hundred years after my death, Christianity will be extinct. A hundred years after Voltaire's death, they took his own printing press and used it to print Bibles. How about that? Listen, you don't mock God, not and get away with it. Well, what is David's response? David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. You know what David is saying? You just picked a fight, not with me, but with God. You got a bigger problem than this shepherd on your hands. You just picked a fight with God. He says in verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down, remove your head from you. I'll give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does does not deliver by sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You know what he's saying? God's about to use you as a sermon illustration. I mean, you talk about Bolton. Can you imagine this, this little shepherd? No armament, just a sling and a stone and a shepherd's staff standing in front of this invincible giant. This is old school faith. There was a guy named Walt Garrison who played football at Oklahoma State University. Amen. We got some Oakies. We got one out there. Fred's out there. Yeah, great day to be a poke. Go Cowboys. All right. Um, Walt Garrison, 200 pounds, 5'11, went to play uh, football for the great Tom Landry. That's when Cowboys were fun to root for. Um, <laughs> Tom Landry. And uh, Walt Garrison was a fullback and they're playing the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears had a guy on the defense named Dick Butkus. All right, here's a little Walt Garrison runs a fullback dive. Butkus picks him up, drives him ground. You ran at Butkus, he took it as an offense to his mama, his daddy, his family, he was mad. Second play, run another fullback dive, picks him up, drives him to the ground. Third play, they run a sweep to the side. Tom Landry was over there who recalled the story, and Butkus slings Garrison to the ground. Garrison jumps up. Buckus runs over to him and says, boy, you run at me again. I'll bite your head off and eat it. And Garrison said, then you'll have more brains in your belly than you've got in your head. <laughs> That's boldness. But that's nothing compared to the boldness of David. But note here, David's confidence is not in himself, but the fact that this giant just picked a fight with God. So David will not be moved. Verse 48 then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. The David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. Probably the only uh, only area of of, uh, opportunity. Struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground just like old Dagon falls before God. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. He didn't even take a sword, a sling to a sword fight. But, verse 51, then David ran and took over, uh, and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And the Philistines saw that their champion was dead and they fled. He took his own sword and used it against him to defeat him. Then the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Sherem, even to Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the, the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put the weapons in his tent. And they use it as a sign of God's glory and his victory. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, "By your life, O king, I don't know. Now there's some people, who look at this, who sure they've already met, they've been serving. There's a couple of options here. I, I, I believe this just demonstrates the fact that Saul, people, he, he, he didn't care about people. It's obvious, he used people. They were a commodity to him. David has been serving in his court, but I don't think he ever really noticed David or took much advantage of an opportunity to get to know him. And, uh, and so he was just a guy who worked um, he used people, didn't notice them. But now he's taking notice of David. He's taking notice of this young man. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. You talk about a moment. You can't do it. Look at here. <laughs> I did it. God did it. Why, why, is, why at this moment is Saul so interested now in David. Cause he's about to become his son-in-law, right? You, you father, some some guy gonna marry your daughter. You want to know about that guy, don't you? He says, Whose son is this guy? Where'd he come from? Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? David answered in verse 58, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Do you see this text? It got chaos everywhere in the text. Saul is hiding in fear, the army is running, his brothers are accusing, Goliath is taunting, the enemy is scheming, and right in the middle you have a servant, a shepherd, who is trusting. He is not moved by Goliath, he's not moved by his brothers, he's not moved by Saul, he's anchored in the glory and the sovereignty of God, and he stands in the gap upon the faithfulness of God and the truth of his word to defeat the enemy for the glory of God alone. He's a young man with an old faith. Listen, we may progress beyond slings and stones. We may progress in the weapons of war, but you do not progress beyond a Davidic faith that points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The shadow of David will eventually give way to the substance of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, not in a valley, but on a hill called Calvary, at the point of death, will run to the face of the enemy with chaos all around him. He will not be moved. The Jews are chanting, the Pharisees are scheming, Pilate is fearing, the disciples are running, Satan thinks he is winning, and right in the middle of it all, you have the good shepherd, the God-man Jesus Christ, and he will not be moved. He prays for his executioners. He leads a criminal to faith, and he takes care of his mama. That's what you call perfect moral righteousness. He refuses the myrrh and the wine. He will not compromise, and he will not be drugged. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. And in suffering, he uttered no threats, but he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. And in perfect obedience to the Father, he lays down his life. And he takes Satan's own instrument of death, the cross, and uses it against him to defeat him. And in his victory over sin, Satan, and death, Jesus inaugurates a new day. The kingdom has come. And his victory invigorates the people of God as we chase down the enemy and advancing the gospel to the furthest ends of the earth. Right here in this text, we have a hero, a hero who points us to Christ. Because listen to me, the battle still rages today, the, st- the enemy is still encroaching, the world is still taunting. People still accusing. And far too often, the people of God are still running. Listen, my prayer is that all over this world and right here in this nation, God would raise up men and women with an old school faith in God alone like David. Men and women who will trust God. Men and women who are fed up with a world that mocks and defies God. The decay of our culture is nauseating. We are declining morally, spiritually, judiciously, economically, and militaristically. We've become impressed with our own intelligence. We've become impressed with our own science and our astrology, and we have set God aside Hopelessness is prevalent, heroes are scarce, leadership has failed, and the question remains, do we have a champion? And our answer is that the battle belongs to the Lord. He died in our place, he defeated sin, Satan, and death, and in his death and resurrection, the enemy is defeated and disarmed. Satan is still around. He prowls around. But listen, he makes himself out to be a whole lot bigger than he really is. God give us the eyes to see that there's more with us than there is with him. You remember in Elijah when they're down in Dothan and the the, the Arameans are coming against them? And it's just him and his guy camped out, him and his servant. They get up in the morning. They're encircled by the Aramean army. And his servant says, We're gonna die right here. This is it. And you remember what Elijah says God opened his eyes so that he will see. There's a whole lot more with us than there is with them. Listen to me the Lord of hosts is with us, and it should make a difference. Listen, let us stop moaning and complaining about the state of our culture around us. But let us move forward with a Davidic faith that says we will not be moved. We will trust in God. While the world around us is losing their heads, we're anchored in the faith of God's word, the promises of God and the presence of God. So let us get up every morning and let's go down to the brook of God's word and let's pick up some smooth stones. Let's pick up the promises of God. Let's be filled with the spirit of God. Let's go forward with the confidence of God, knowing the victory is sure because the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, first service, I didn't have time. I had a a hymn. I'm not going to sing it, but this is just too good. This is what's been ringing through my head all week. I have to get the words out because I'm always afraid I'm going to forget them. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. You soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, His army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Listen to this. Stand in his strength alone. Listen, don't listen to the world. They're gonna tell you you don't know nothing. You're not that big. You're not that strong. You're not that wise. You're not that intelligent. That's fine. You can say that. But it's not our strength. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. To him, listen, to him that overcometh, a crown of life shall be he with the king of glory shall reign eternally father we thank you today for our champion Jesus Christ sent by the father for the redemption of his children leaving the glory of heaven the good shepherd comes not to the valley of Allah but to the hill called Calvary to face the enemy The most daunting and fearful enemy that we face in this world is death. The Goliath of our lives is death. Praise God, we have a champion, Jesus Christ, that enables us to say, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know that victory, maybe they're standing in front of the Goliath of death today Sin and Satan is taunting them. They find themselves in a place of despair. I pray that they would know today, salvation will not come in their own strength. It won't come in their own abilities. It won't come in their own goodness. It won't come in their own righteousness. Their only hope is to place their faith in Christ alone. God, I pray that they would see the beauty, the power, and the wonder of Christ, and they would trust in him today. God, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we have been emboldened by the faith of David. God, we go out into a world, the battle is still raging. The victory's already been won, but the battle still rages. I pray that faith in our champion, Jesus Christ, who's already won, would give us confidence and boldness. We would not back down. We would stand firm. We wouldn't compromise. We would stand firm. Armed with the gospel, we would chase the enemy to the four corners of the earth. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.